Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey y'all, welcome back to Eco Chic. My name is Laura Diaz. It is so, so good to have you here today. Today's episode is a bit of a Climate Solutions 101 quick breakdown of all of the opportunities we have ahead of us when it comes to combating the climate crisis. I will say that some of these are topics that we've done some deep dive episodes on in the past, so I will link in the show notes all of the information that I have available through this show, as well as external resources for you to learn more about these particular solutions, especially if you're looking for numbers and data and really tangible products and case studies for implementation. However, I think it's important for us to set the scene a little bit when it comes to climate solutions, have a surface level understanding on climate solutions across different industries and different sectors of the economy that we're looking to decarbonize, especially during this time period in November when we have COP underway. COP stands for the Conference of Parties. This is an annual conference that the United Nations hosts for leaders from different nations to come together and really talk about climate solutions and set climate targets. So anytime we're talking about climate goals from a particular country This is where it happens. This is where those targets are set. There are some mixed feelings about COP, especially in the lens of equity. And last year's episode on COP, I did discuss some of the inequities around the conference. So I'm going to go ahead and link last year's episode in the show notes. But COP is really important because it is a time to set targets. Like I said, the value in having a conference where leaders from all around the world are getting together to really set ambitious climate goals is just that. It's really about a power and numbers situation. You're really understanding how different countries and different powers of the world can come together to really set ambitious targets and get things done. So the challenge with COP is not so much getting there or who's going to set what targets, but it's really enforcing those targets and making sure that countries can go back and regionally deploy these climate solutions Also really challenging is not just setting the target, but actually making sure that that target is a feasible goal for that country to get to when it comes to their climate solutions. So for example, really briefly, if you're saying that you're going to be net zero by 2030 and we're already in the year 2022, what solutions do you already have in place to make sure that you can totally decarbonize your country in the next eight years? Have you started? Do you have the financing in place? Are you thinking about those regional groups and those marginalized groups to make sure that no one is left behind in reaching these carbon goals? COP is a really, really exciting time to talk about climate solutions and climate targets, but it's also a time to really test ourselves and to say globally, what do we already have in place to make sure that we can actually combat climate change? 
This year's COP is number 27. Like I said, it happens annually and it's held in a different place every year. So this year, leaders are getting together in Egypt. Last year, they got together in Scotland. And it's not just delegates or United Nation ambassadors. It is also universities. It's scientists. It's nonprofit organizations. People really there to get together and work on climate solutions. And again, achieve these targets in a reasonable, equitable, economically feasible way and timely. Today, I want us to talk about four major sectors that need to be considered when we talk about climate solutions. And the sectors we're going to talk about today are transportation, the built environment, food, and agriculture. I'm grouping that into one section, I suppose. And then we're also going to talk about electricity. Quick break to tell you about our sponsors today. Make it more than just the holidays this year with the gift of health from EverlyWell. Give the gift of nourishing vitamins and supplements and over 30 at-home lab tests like food sensitivity and women's health to help you and your loved ones get further on your health goals. I just tried the food sensitivity test and I was really excited about this. I've seen quite a few ads for Everly Well, so I've always been curious about the food sensitivity test and it gave me so much peace of mind that it was so easy to do this at home. Everlywell is digital healthcare designed for you with personal results and accessible tools for long-term health. It's really, really simple. Everlywell ships products straight to you or your loved one with everything needed in a single package. If you ordered an at-home lab test, the sample can simply be collected at home and then shipped back to a certified lab in a prepaid envelope included with the test. The results are, of course, reviewed by a physician and then they're sent to you in just a few days digitally. If you ordered vitamins and supplements, you can start adding them to your daily routine right away. Of course, they are shipped right to you. It is so, so simple. Over a million people have trusted Everly Well to support their health and wellness goals. And now you and your loved ones can do the same. Like I said, I was really excited to try the food sensitivity test in particular. There are a couple of things that I just feel like act up in my diet. So it gave me a lot of peace of mind to learn from Everly Well that sure enough, me thinking that I was a little sensitive to like butternut squash was actually true. It wasn't something I was tricking myself into believing. There were a couple other things that I was expecting on my food sensitivity test that I didn't see. So again, it gave me a lot of peace of mind and it was so, so, so simple. Again, the envelope is prepaid. It could not be easier to do this at home. And at first I was thinking that I was going to have to go to a doctor's office to take these tests because it was something that I was just curious about. But sure enough, Everlywell came, saved the day. And I look forward to gifting these to a couple of friends. I feel like it's an unexpected gift and it's a really fun one that people can participate in. And then again, it helps them towards their health and wellness goals and works on their schedule. The gift of health has never been so easy to share than it is this holiday season. For listeners of the show, EverlyWell is offering a discount of 20% off an at-home lab test at everlywell.com slash ecochic. That's everlywell.com slash ecochic for 20% off your at-home lab test, everlywell.com slash ecochic. It will be in the show notes. Transportation may be my favorite sector to talk about climate solutions within because we know that transportation is the largest domestic contributor to climate change. I'm going to go ahead and link some articles from the U.S. Department of Transportation that talks more about the necessity to really heavily decarbonize this sector. But transportation is interesting because there is really this 
interesting balance and this interesting opportunity for both really significant consumer decisions and then also a lot of public decision making that needs to go into heavily decarbonizing this sector. So I think just starting off with the obvious, when we talk about decarbonizing the transportation sector, very often we're thinking about shifting to alternative modes of transportation, really reducing our reliability on combustion engines. Shifting our transportation sector away from internal combustion engines is, again, a really interesting opportunity to talk about both consumer choice and public action, or rather the opportunity for local governments to get involved in climate solutions. So a really clear, obvious one here is promoting walkable cities or encouraging more mixed use development. There was recently an episode on EcoChic all about walkable cities. I'm going to make sure to link that in the show notes. And that one was a pretty quick episode, less than 20 minutes. Something really important to note when we talk about walkable cities is that we're not only talking about literally being able to walk freely around your neighborhood to get access to different stores and grocery options and whatever else it may be that you're looking for in your neighborhood. When we talk about walkable cities, it is just more broadly reducing dependency on cars. So a walkable city is also a bikeable city. It's also a city that has available public transportation options that are safe, that are economically feasible, that are attractive to consumers. Another major area for the transportation sector to talk about climate solutions is the electrification of vehicles. Again, this is both about consumer choice and public choice. On the consumer side, climate solutions that are promoting electrification of vehicles are perhaps tax incentives or things that make buying a electric vehicle more attractive to a consumer. On the public policy side, how are we making sure that our cities can actually support increased electrification of vehicles? So is there public infrastructure available for charging stations? Are we making sure that the other public vehicles that are available to electrify can be electrified? So perhaps our local government fleets, every time they have to purchase a new vehicle, are they thinking about electric vehicles? Can we electrify public buses? So thinking again more broadly about vehicles as not just only personal choice, but again, on that policy side, on that infrastructure side. And the third major area of opportunity when it comes to climate solutions and decarbonizing the transportation sector that I want to talk about is enhancing efficiency. So if we are continuing to use combustion engine cars, can we make sure that we're getting more miles per gallon? That's quite simple. When we talk about electric vehicles, can we really extend the range of those electric vehicles so that you are not stuck charging it more often than you would really like to. When we're talking about public transportation options, can we make sure the bus lines are actually getting to places that people want to go and they are running at reasonable times for people? Should we be reevaluating the way that subway systems operate? So again, enhancing efficiency to make sure that transportation doesn't necessarily need to be dependent on just the way that we've always done things. All right, let's zip on over to talking about climate solutions for a different sector. We're gonna talk for a second about the built environment. I have two really major buckets of climate solutions that I'd like to talk about today. And I feel like these are interesting things that we haven't talked about too in depth before because they're not very sexy. And I feel like when it comes to climate solutions, people want something that's like shiny and attractive. And when it comes to the built environment, it isn't usually that way. So the first climate solution that I want to talk about, or the first area of climate solutions that we should be talking about when we talk about our built environment, is around refrigerants. 
Refrigerants is a pretty broad term that we use to describe the gases that quite literally can cool our spaces, not just our literal refrigerators, but also what we have in air conditioning systems, ways that we keep our built environment actually livable. So we're going to just shorten these really quickly to CFCs, HFCs, HCFCs. These are all different gases that we use to, again, quite literally refrigerate our spaces. And they're all different variations of combinations of CO2 and NH3, which is ammonia. There has been a good bit of policy action around making sure that refrigerants are better managed. So CFCs are ozone depleting substances that were phased out under the Montreal Protocol. And then there are two different categories of refrigerants that we're gonna talk about in a second. HCFCs, those are currently being phased out, and that's largely an industry decision. And then HFCs that are not understood to deplete the ozone layer, given our current research, they have emerged as an alternative type of refrigerant. They're more natural, they have a lower warming potential. So we understand that there are some gases that are, I suppose, the lesser of the evils when it comes to our refrigeration, but we have to think more deeply about how we are managing all of these gases, no matter how potent they are. I mentioned that some of the phasing out, particularly of HCFCs, is largely industry-driven, but you as a consumer also have a really significant part to play when it comes to refrigeration. If you're buying a refrigerator, you want to opt for a high efficiency option, especially in the US. It's really easy to see these with those little Energy Star stickers. And I feel like it's kind of hard not to buy a high efficiency option for a refrigerator or an air conditioning unit in our current economy, especially if you're buying new. If you are getting rid of a unit, you can recycle a broken unit in a way that allows for refrigerant recovery. I can link some opportunities in the show notes for you to learn more about that. And then on a larger industry scale, we have to control leakages of refrigerants. So do we have good detection systems? Are you as a consumer informed on how to make sure that your AC or your refrigerator is not necessarily leaking excessively? We have to do some more consumer education on refrigerants. Again, it's not necessarily a sexy topic, but it is really, really necessary when we're talking about the actual gases that are warming our atmosphere. Also in the category of the built environment, I wanna talk about the climate solution that is alternate cement. Listen to this absolutely crazy statistic. Cement is the second most used substance in the world after water. And cement production, of course, has a very significant impact on our greenhouse gas emissions. It feels like finding a more environmentally friendly, climate-friendly solution to cement would be a no-brainer. There are some really cool alternate cement solutions that use things like different kinds of clay, limestone, recycled glass bottles, industrial ways, volcanic ash is another really cool alternate cement option. But alternate cement hasn't really become an industry standard yet because a lot of these new ways of creating cement, of using the cement, just haven't been widely adopted and they're not necessarily the most economically feasible yet because we're not doing them at scale. So alternate cement is definitely an area of solution that countries or local governments can more heavily invest to or incentivize, but we're also kind of waiting for the industry to catch up and make these alternate options more available. 
There are some really cool examples of buildings that have been used with alternate cement options that I'm gonna link in the show notes. A really great way to also think more deeply about making a building green is thinking through lead green standards for buildings. This is a type of building code and a certification that you can get for a building that has to do with how the building is actually created and constructed. So that could be through alternate cement options, it could be through waste disposal processes, refrigeration management, Just looking through the checklist of what makes a building LEED certified or qualified to be a LEED standard building is really interesting because it gives you a really full picture of what it means to be a like quote unquote sustainable building. It's not a perfect system, of course, but it helps us think more deeply about our built environment. Today's episode is also brought to us by Shed the Silence. Hair is so much more than physical appearance for women. It shapes our relationship with ourselves inside and out, defines our identity, self-image, and self-confidence. Female hair loss is a reality for millions of women, yet most are reluctant to discuss it publicly. I've talked in the past about my personal hair loss experience, especially it was during the height of COVID, and I felt kind of embarrassed that I was so stressed out that I was losing hair so visibly. And until I was able to share this experience with my girlfriends and open up, I really didn't realize how common this is. There has been other times in my life where I've experienced high stress and I am losing chunks of hair visibly in the shower. And again, I'm embarrassed to talk about it. But once I think back to myself during this COVID period, I'm like, wow, I know I'm not alone and I know this is normal. And I think that my opening up to my immediate girlfriends or with my sister It has been a really helpful experience for them as well to talk about this openly again, to understand that this is a natural thing that a lot of women are going through no matter what phase of their life they are in. Actually, dig this, naturally over half of women will experience hair thinning in their lifetime. However, many women still don't know that and they suffer in silence thinking that they're alone. During these periods of hair thinning in my life that I was just alluding to, I think that I was not only feeling a dissociation with my identity, hair for a long time has been really important for me to feel like who I truly am, I suppose, but it's not just a dissociation of identity. Again, I was embarrassed. I felt bad. I felt like there was something that I should be doing or like this shouldn't be happening to me. And having the opportunity to be personal and vulnerable with the people in my life that I should feel the closest with was so, so powerful. Because again, not only did it help me feel less alone, but it also helped validate my experience that this is not a weird thing that was happening. This is not because of something that I did. Let's talk about it. Your hair story could help another woman. Join the conversation at shedthesilence.com. That's shedthesilence.com. It will be in the show notes. Climate solutions for the food and agriculture section are really interesting to me because it really speaks both to regional specialties, to cultural differences, and of course, economic incentives. So the three big ways that we can think about climate solutions in this food and agriculture sector is of course addressing waste. We know that food waste, if it was its own country, would be the number four largest emitter in the world of greenhouse gases. So we need to talk more about addressing food waste. We need to make composting more accessible. There's a cultural conversation to have here. Why do we only accept certain produce at our grocery stores? We know that it's something like one in three or one in four pieces of produce are actually thrown out because they do not meet the aesthetic qualities that we're looking for in American grocery stores. So there's so much to talk about when we talk about food waste. 
We want to talk also culturally about addressing diets in the food and agriculture sector of climate solutions. We know that eating a more plant-based diet is more climate friendly. I'm going to link so many links in the show notes. This is a very well-studied and well-researched area of climate solutions. But addressing diets in the food and agriculture sector of climate solutions is not as simple as just promoting plant-based diets. It is truly a cultural shift. So for some folks, it is that they are willing to give up beef, but not everything altogether. That's a great place to start. We know that beef is the highest emitter of the animal agriculture industry. I'm going to go ahead and link some resources in the show notes. But again, just more broadly speaking, when we talk about addressing diets to be more planet friendly, to be more plant based, this is a really significant cultural shift and very dependent on individual action. Of course, that can be supported by things like Um, making plant-based diets trendy. How do we make it cool to eat lower in the food chain? How do we make it cool to have a more climate-friendly diet, I suppose? But also, again, more broadly, it really depends on where you are and who you're talking to around the world. The last bucket of climate solutions that I want to talk about with the food and agriculture sector is really around rethinking how we produce food and also shifting where we produce food. Especially in the U.S., we know that a lot of Food is often produced in very drought-ridden areas because of the price of water. It's really inexpensive to water, and that's why we can grow strawberries in Southern California all year round. We also recognize that there are some areas in animal agriculture that are really heavily subsidized, such as beef. So when we talk about shifting our agriculture industry in a more climate-friendly way, We really want to be thinking again about subsidies, not just on water or particular products, but really re-examining our food systems so that prices are reflective of what folks are actually eating and consuming and all of the resources that actually go into producing that particular unit or that particular item in the food system. Once we as a consumer public are able to better understand the true cost of an item, so whether that is an animal product or fruit or whatever else it may be, that economic shift will follow. So how do we make sure that we are accurately representing the resources that go into something? And how do we grow things in areas that are more climate friendly or more appropriate for growing that particular crop? I think a really good example of this is rice fields. So we know that rice needs to be grown in water. If water is really inexpensive, you can take a drought-ridden area and flood it and grow your water there. That is certainly not the most climate-friendly solution, but it's the most economic solution. So when we talk about shifting our food sector, our agriculture sector, into a more climate-conscious space for it, it really thinks more deeply about how we're subsidizing things and how we're pricing things so that consumers and farmers equally can shift to more climate-conscious and more appropriate ways to grow our crops. The last sector that I want to talk about climate solutions within the context of is electricity. And I feel like this is another one that's not particularly sexy, but we really got to talk about it. We know that the industrial revolution led to climate change as we know it today. That was the first time that we were truly emitting greenhouse gas trapping chemicals and the first time that we really saw a shift in the way that humans were interacting with the planet. And what is that industrial revolution really largely due to? And that is the burning of fossil fuels. So it seems like a no-brainer that we got to talk about climate solutions in the context of electricity because that is what we are still burning fossil fuels for. 
I think that we all understand this, but I'm gonna go ahead and really lay it out in blatant terms for us. Electricity is deeply, deeply 100% necessary for the way that we live today in our built environments, in our communities. And I know this sounds like a no brainer, big duh, Laura moment, but when we understand that electricity is so vital to the way that we live, when we talk about climate solutions and really shifting our economies, the more efficient climate-friendly solutions for electricity have to be deeply tied into every sector of climate solutions. So really, again, thinking about climate solutions in the electricity sector will lead to solutions across other areas of our economy. A really cool little fun fact that I'd like us to keep top of mind is electricity production gives rise to 25% of heat trapping emissions. I'm going to go ahead and link in the show notes where you can find more on that. But I think that's really helpful to think that a fourth of our emissions as we know it today is just directly linked to electricity production, not even the use of it, not even how we are inefficiently conducting our communities or conducting our economy with that electricity that is so emitting in just the production stage. I understand there to be three major buckets of solution when it comes to the electricity sector. We want to enhance efficiency of the electricity sector. We want to shift production. How do we actually create electricity in a more climate conscious way? And we also want to improve the system. How do we make sure that our grids and our infrastructure is prepared to truly bring on more renewables and get those renewable resources to the people that need them? I want to also really harp on this idea around enhancing efficiency as a climate solution. When we talk about bringing renewables onto the grid, it's very easy to get overwhelmed or to hear some naysayers be like, oh, we just simply can't produce so much to offset all of the fossil fuel production that we currently rely on. It's not necessarily that we need to bring on renewables to replace 100% of how we are currently consuming electricity. We can also think about efficiency as a resource. How do we make it so that we don't need to replace 100% of our electricity? How do we make it so that our lives are more efficient, that we're actually requiring less electricity overall, renewable or otherwise. When we talk about the production of more climate conscious energy, that is thinking about renewable resources. So how is it that we can support the installment of more solar panels, both utility scale and on the consumer level, residential homes? How do we think about wind turbines and making them more affordable and efficient for utilities to bring on to their grids and to support their energy production? So when we talk about electricity production, I mentioned again, it's some consumer choice. That's like, do you want solar panels on your home? But more broadly, how do we make sure that utilities, power companies, and local governments are bringing on more renewable energy resources? So we can really talk about scale when we talk about shifting production. It's not just about one person. It's all of us that need to get on board with making sure that energy is equitable, that it's renewable, that it's affordable, and that it's readily available. Lastly, when we talk about improving our energy systems, it is not just the grid, which I've done a couple episodes on. I'm going to go ahead and link those in the show notes as well. But it's making sure that our system can support increasing renewables. It can support microgrids when we talk about resilience, because we know with climate change, we are seeing stronger storms. Again, not necessarily more frequent storms, but stronger storms. How do we make sure that our energy systems not only can support renewables, but can actually combat and mitigate and help us adapt to some of these really significant climate impacts that we're seeing today and every single day moving forward? 
I'm going to close us out today here at this point. I feel like we have discussed a lot, a lot of climate solutions, again, at more a surface level so that you are readily prepared to think about any sort of commitments that come out of COP, any sort of commitments that your local governments may be making after midterm season. I want us to think more broadly about climate solutions while it is important to get into the weeds. But again, all of these sectors intersect. Oh, no pun intended there. But we really have to weave together all of these climate solutions to see a really climate-friendly economy, to see a really climate-friendly world. And if we are thinking about truly adapting and staying below 2 degrees Celsius, as per all of the climate commitments and all of the climate scientists are telling us, how are we making that happen across the board? It's not just about transportation or not just about the built environment. We got to think about all of these things together. Thank you so, so, so much for hanging out with me today. It has been an absolute joy to spend this time with you to talk about some of my favorite climate solutions and to talk about some things that I just like really love to geek out on. Like I said, we will have so many links in the show notes so you can dive deeper into previous episodes on some of these topics, both on this show, but I'm also going to have a lot of external links if you want to look at the math behind some of these things or if you want some case studies. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you learned a little something and I hope you take the time to deep dive into any of these topics that we mentioned today and in a way that can support your lifestyle or help you better understand the current community that you're living in and how to make that more climate friendly. So with that, again, I'll close this out. Thanks so much for hanging out with me today. I hope that you are subscribed to the podcast wherever you are listening. If you've stuck around this long, just make sure you're subscribed wherever you're listening. So Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, wherever it may be. And while you're there, leave me a rating and review. It helps me out a lot. Send this to a friend, just one person that you think would really appreciate the show. And if you want to get in touch, I am always available on social media. All my links are down below. And then my email is also down there. Again, thanks so much. I will see you next week. Love ya. Goodbye.